Welcome to the first episode of the second season of the Queers at Play podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm joined, as always, by Ruben. Hello! And Lewis. Hello, everyone. So, it's been, uh, it's been a while since we've done a full podcast recording. Hope everybody is ready and raring to go through the news that's happened over the past couple of weeks. There is some news, for sure. I hear there's been one or two bits of news floating around. Just a little bit, just a little bit. So um, let's start by discussing the PlayStation 5 update that came out uh, about a week ago now. So really the big addition here was we can finally make use of some external storage. I mean, thank fuck. Being able to put PS5 games on external storage. Oh my god. PS5 games are huge. Why wasn't this at launch? Seriously. <laughs> they just weren't ready. They weren't ready. They weren't I mean, ready you, still, you, still, fu- you still can't play them from the external storage, but... No, you'd think that with a console of that kind of notoriety, that this would be the type of thing they would have in mind at the beginning, right? As like a release thing, because they know what people are like with how many games they want to buy and, of course, the size of them. You'd think they would have just got this sorted earlier on. But, I mean, no, I guess the thing they've had... Sorry, I think the thing they've had in their advantage, though, is there's been fuck all PS5 games. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it hasn't mattered. <laughs> that's very true, because that's just made me realise I think I maybe have one or two <laughs> PS5 games, which is shameful. Yeah, I've got... Very few actual PS5 games, and then a whole bunch of PS4 games that are running in sort of performance mode. Um, and then, and then, so really, just Miles Morales, I think, and and, and Final Fantasy XIV beta version for PS5. Of course, yeah. Oh, we'll get to that. But that's we'll a, get to that's that later on. Spoilers. Put a pin in it for later. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other big bit of Sony news, not really news, is uh, the controversy over the CMOS battery. Um, it does appear that Sony have said they're looking into it. Um, but for anybody that doesn't know, the issue here really is that at some point down the road, uh, Sony will inevitably turn off their, their servers for older PlayStations, starting probably at some point with the PS3, although they have delayed that for the time being. Um, and once that happens, if your CMOS battery dies or you uh, replace it for whatever reason, it will render the console somewhat useless. Not ideal. Yeah, this this issue combined with the, the PS3 and Vita and PSP store shutdown issue made Sony look like right dicks over the last month. Um, the, CMOS issue, the CMOS issues specifically, because the fact that that issue essentially locked your console, really, it essentially bricked it and made it completely fucking useless, um, and also made it that all of your purchases would no longer work. Oh my God, what a bad state of affairs. Yeah, I mean, as an issue, it, it's... It's worse for the PS4 than it is for the PS3. I believe on the PS3, it would just make your digital purchases not work, but you'd still be able to play physical games. 
on the PS4, it's affecting physical games as well. It's it's an interesting one because this happens with so many consoles, doesn't it? Where this kind of this idea that as soon as you buy into these consoles and you buy into whatever the the, the services that they provide with them, there's always like that kind of ticking clock that at some point, at some point in the future. Especially if you're someone that, like me, likes to rely on the, the digital purchases and the the um, cloud-based storage stuff and all, all of that nonsense. There's just going to come a point where you're going to get kind of cut off from it. And that's a bit scary. And it's funny that, that it's, it's not something I've heard talked about enough. But I remember when Stadia was being talked about, that was like the first thing people were getting flustered about. It's like, what if the server goes down or you decide to cancel everything we've purchased gets thrown into the bin and yet you know in a way that's been a thing an issue that's prevailing through various consoles anyway just in a different way just because of a clock battery <laughs> effectively yeah yeah it's just yeah it's I mean, just a weird one i mean like this is a bit like this this has been an issue like we could go back years and years and years like the the, the earliest instance that comes to my mind would be pokemon Pokemon Red and Blue, because the cartridges, because it had the game had its own, no, not Red and Blue, because that didn't have an internal clock, uh, it would be Gold and Silver. Because Gold and Silver had an internal clock, it had an internal battery, and if that internal battery died, that was very hard to replace, and it would potentially lose all of your save data, everything. Um, so this is, like, conservation of video games as a medium is... We could probably do an entire episode of this podcast just on that as a topic um, because it's terrifying that this medium is not being preserved. And yeah. there's so many games, like there's so many games I can think of that are now lost to the ether simply because they were on a digital storefront where a digital game and then that storefront was closed down. Yeah. I mean, the DSi uh, store, even the Wii store, can yep. you can you re-download Wii games still, or is that a later date shutdown? I don't know. Uh, I don't have my Wii anymore. But like, there's still games on the Wii. There's games that are were exclusive for the Wii Shop Channel mm-hmm. that are now just gone. You can't download them. You can't buy them now because the Wii Shop Channel's gone. You may be able to re-download them if you've already purchased them before on a Wii. But yeah, it's it's terrifying, is what it is for, for from a from someone who is very hot and very much is uh, on top of that whole idea of game preservation. Um, it's it's terrifying that the, these things can happen this easily. Rest and in it, peace, original yes. S beyond an Umbreon. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird that this... Uh, it's an issue that kind of uniquely affects the gaming industry because every game is written for a specific format... You know, you, you look hmm. at, you know, movies and TV shows. A movie you can put onto any medium, digital, disc, VHS, whatever, and it will work just fine. And it will play in whatever device you put it in. But a game, it's so specific for the hardware that it's designed for. <clears throat> without an hmm. emulator or that game going through some development process to port it to another system it's just never going to work on anything other than the thing that you release it on yeah and it's 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 particularly warming to see that it's it's being looked into as a specific issue because you know thinking back to looking outside of the podcast for just a moment of course ruben you and i we were doing our 
are consumer law related lectures and with, with the law as it is now going into lawyer mode with the law as it is now relating to consumer rights in relation to purchasing of goods whether it's physical or digital there's a huge issue there i was going to say a lacuna <laughs> that, that causes can cause a lot of headache because you know if you buy certain digital content in particular or you buy certain hardware is it properly communicated to the consumer at the outset that actually your product your hardware or the content that's on it actually effectively has a shelf life that's you know that's huge Interestingly, there's also, a, there's currently, a, I don't know if you've seen, there's a lawsuit going on in America at the moment where a guy is suing Apple because this person breached Apple's terms and conditions. They shut down his iTunes account and he lost access to what he claims is like 25 grand's worth of digital content that he owned connected to his Apple account. And it's, who owns these? You know, do you oh. own the purchase? Can you, can do they have the right to take away your access to a digitally purchased good? Ensure you check the terms and conditions of your product. <laughs> <laughs> that voice was so perfect, I didn't realise it was you at first. I thought you were just playing a recording. <laughs> that is my, uh, my TV terms and conditions applied voice. <laughs> We're going to get Lewis back to do all of our voiceovers in the future. <laughs> yeah, we've got to, like all no. of our promos. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a serious issue. And and I think, you know, the, the Apple one is a good comparator because I think, I dare say Apple with something like iTunes, their terms and conditions will be really clear that you are buying into access to a platform which can be terminated on notice. But I wonder, I, I think that's a little bit, a little bit more acceptable, but with something like a playstation or an xbox whatever console you buy or a game that has an internal clock with it i don't think especially way back when in the early years of, of these systems people even appreciated that was a risk of the system oh probably not absolutely not and that's enormous and i feel like if the law was now what it was then we'd have had lots of claims over this but because i think the problem the problem is also that people have only perhaps just found out that it could be an issue because the PS3 is getting to an age where those batteries are dying. Ah, right. That makes sense. So, you know, you wouldn't necessarily even have thought, oh, this could be a problem because it's never been a problem. Mm. Um, moving on, um, Nintendo news the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Luigi Lego sets. So this was uh, teased intentionally or otherwise with a firmware update to the Mario brick <laughs> where he <laughs> cried, but he cried out for his missing brother Luigi in a somewhat perhaps cynical cash grab attempt <laughs> trying to get kids to buy their Mario Lego set a Luigi brother. I mean... I don't have much to say about this because my 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 kind of foray into the Mario Lego sets has been those little kind of blind bags you get of the enemies because mm-hmm. I just thought they were cute. Yeah. So I got a few of those. Um, but there's something very insidious about having a firmware update for the Mario to have him cry out for his brother. There's something very, like... Firstly, there's no way that wasn't done on purpose, of course. 
whether it was done on purpose, whether it was released as early as it was intended, I don't know. But like, there's there's something like very golden grinding cogs of capitalism about that. As oh, a absolutely. say that again, say that again. <laughs> golden grinding cogs of capitalism. Love that t-shirt made. Um. I'll get it. I'll get it made for you. Um, Thank you. But yeah, because it it this is definitely this was definitely on purpose. There's no way this was an accident. Um, but like the, the the set looks cute, and like the Yoshi's look cute. So sure, but yeah, it doesn't. Something about it, and a very specific thing about it, doesn't sit right with me. But sure. And also, it's reasonably priced, really, for for Lego. Lego can be expensive. I've seen oh, collections, yeah. so I imagine. <laughs> I mean, if you go to the you go to the Lego store and you go through those things where you can actually, you know, you can select, can't you, what you want? You bestow, bespoke um, selections of different bricks, and it's like this will cost three pounds per brick. <laughs> <laughs> but my only my only objection to what's been said about this so far is is Mark saying um, uh, try to get the children. To purchase the Lego, how dare you? We all love Lego, Mark. Oh no! I, <laughs> and I know you. I mean, I you love, love, I Lego. love Lego. <laughs> the point, the point with the children, I think, is that I am in a position to buy my own Lego. I don't need to go and yeah. complain to my parents to have money to to buy a Lego set if I want it. Of course, yeah. And, and I'm, you I'm, I, I, I would like to think I'm a little bit more self-aware <laughs> than being yeah. duped into buying a Lego set. <laughs> Yeah, and there's 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 a, certainly an element, isn't there, of um, as you were both saying, the way that they have kind of teased and introduced it is is pandering to that kind of more emotional response, perhaps that kids might be more susceptible to. Yes, We've got to go absolutely. get Luigi. We've got to save him. We've got to stop Mario's crying for him. Um, um, yeah, in, in other kind of, I guess. Uh, capitalist news i suppose nintendo have put out uh a new switch light color <laughs> tempting oh tempting everybody with that lovely lovely blue uh almost reminiscent of the sort of gamecube and Game Boy advance colors of the uh sort of early noughties this is the first color of the switch light that i was looking at and i was like i really want a switch light yeah, you see, you see, it's that, it's that kind of little insidious. It's, it's such a gorgeous colour. It is it lovely. It really is. Um, and it annoys me because um, I don't need it. But it's... <laughs> no, like, don't need it. We'll probably never use it, but it is beautiful to look at. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's, I think it's really clever, I think, because when I saw that colour... As much as, of course, the, there's the the debate over what the colour is, um, I looked at it and it immediately just seemed to make me think, "This is Nintendo colour." Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like what you're saying about the the Game Boy and the the, the GameCube. Keep glancing down at my GameCube because in my head, as you were saying that, I was thinking, "Yeah, because I've got the iconic purple GameCube." And I looked down. And I've got the black one in my head. I've got uh, the purple I, one. I also have the black one over on my shelf. Well, but can I can, podcast, I can but... see, I can see the original memory card sticking out the front, which is that 
Nintendo purple colour, and it's already making me think. As much as I, I don't, I don't think I want it based on the colour, but it does make me think. It's invoking memories, and it's just a shade of a bluey purple. That's all it is. But you got me, gal. <laughs> Well, if there's one thing Nintendo are good at and always have been fucking good at, it's nostalgia. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. It's pretty, uh, though. It is. It is. And in news, it's almost perfect, given uh, your chosen profession, Lewis. Uh, Bowser sues Bowser <laughs> in, in the world of Nintendo. Uh, mm. So this is, this is specifically Nintendo suing... Uh, a hacker who, uh, do you know what? My mind's gone blank. <laughs> jump, 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 me to, jump, me to yeah. do it. Um, Step in, Ruben. Yeah, so Nintendo of America have filed a lawsuit against Gary Bowser, um, who is from Team Executor, and Team Executor um, are essentially just a group of hackers. And uh, the reason why he's been arrested and the, the new lawsuit is kind of around Bowser and Team Executor um, creating and selling hacks of Nintendo Switch or for ah, Nintendo Switch. Um, so, right, yes. And, but so specifically the reason, with, the aim, with the aim of them being able to play pirated games. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, the reason why Bowser sues Bowser is because obviously the CEO of Nintendo of America is Doug <laughs> Bowser. And the leader of Team Executor, or leader, so to speak, is, is Gary Bowser. So Bowser is suing Bowser, which is just... The, the headlines write them fucking selves, That's don't they? There's, there was another case not that long ago. I'm sure we were talking about this, Ruben, not that long ago, about another case that had party names, which would almost seem like a video game pun. But I'll, I'll push that to one side, I can't remember what it is. I didn't really know about this one, um, but... I can get it. It's one of those horrible situations, isn't it, where certainly from a from a lawyer's perspective, I completely get it and I completely sympathise with why a company would want to take that type of legal action to stop someone basically turning their product into a new product for resale, effectively. But at the same time, I don't know about you guys, but I have experienced hacked consoles and sometimes it feels like they offer things that the original can't and you just kind of like Ugh. it is a it's a difficult one isn't it because there's also this question of how much of it how much do you own the thing that you've bought yes if you're if you are applying the hack yourself yeah uh you know i appreciate obviously you're definitely on dodgy ground if you use that hack to play pirated software but if you're using that hack to play homebrew software or perhaps to install i don't know a custom version of android on your device or something Mm. along those lines where you're not actively pirating the software but you are altering the intended function of the original hardware it's like do you own this or are you actually kind of just renting the software from the hardware from the company that you thought you bought it from yeah, there was a really good, um, there was a really good, fairly notable case along this kind of like, I didn't actually get to a, a actual case of litigation, as I recall, but it was to do with the Pokemon game. Uh, as I recall, there was someone that was redeveloping, I think using the um, kind of Ruby Sapphire Emerald style um, Pokemon engine uh, to make a new fan game. 
Mm. And it's a similar kind of concept because, of course, they were making the game themselves. They were admittedly using the, the graphic assets of the original. And people were absolutely over the moon with it. So excited. So much support. And I think, to be fair, it was reinvigorating people's love for the game as well. But naturally, it came down to, that's our intellectual property. Smack you down with the club. Don't touch that. Put that down. And there's an element with me that's like, okay, I get what your legal rights are. I get this is yours and I get your concern. But sometimes these things have benefit to everybody involved. But I get, you know, if you were taking a Pokemon game, for example, and you were turning it into a Rudy Rudy game, <laughs> Pokemon XXX, no, <laughs> shan't be allowing no, that. That damages the brand. Of course. But there's, I, but there's like countless instances of this happening. So like right. Capcom, Capcom shut down a fan-made uh, Resident Evil 2 remake because they were making their own Resident Evil 2 remake. Um, also recently, I think they made moves to shut down a remake of Resident Evil Gaiden, which I was really fucking excited about because nobody appreciates Gaiden. Um, and obviously Nintendo have done it in the past with the uh, Not Another Metroid 2 remake as well. Yeah. Um, um, so on the flip yeah. side of that, you've got the likes of uh, Black Mesa mod, which was a remake of the original Half-Life that Valve gave their blessing to and actually brought in... Ha- well, they, they bought the team in-house and, and made it an official release. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so it, it happens both ways, but yeah. it more happens the former than the yes. latter. It does. Yeah. It's sad, but I guess I get it. I get it. Makes me sad, but I get it. And it's a, it, I guess it's also a fine line because you then get into arguments of, well, you did protect it in this case, so why are you protecting it in this case? Yes, yes, yes. Lots of different rules. There's a fun rule in law that we call latches about sitting on your rights and letting them expire, which is it's sometimes used in these sort of situations. But yeah, I get your point. Why, if, if you're not consistently enforcing your rights, then you do expose yourself. And I, I understand that Nintendo is, is relatively hot on this mm-hmm. in comparison to other developers and publishers who are, are, are willing to turn a bit of a blind eye, perhaps because they know they've already turned a blind eye too many times, whereas Nintendo perhaps... I can understand why Nintendo in particular would be very hot on it, because it's like we were saying before, with the <laughs> Pokemon XXX <laughs> example... <laughs> um, particularly as their their target market is or historically at least was more for a younger audience i can see why they want to have more of a firmer grasp over it but bowser who's bowser i wonder which bowser will win only time will tell i suppose Mm. there's a there's a good cliche right uh (laughs) reuben your favorite topic of conversation cyberpunk (laughs) i love dunking on cyberpunk (laughs) Ah, so the true cost of the uh, refunds for Cyberpunk has been revealed. And it's yes. a lot more than you might think. It's still a fucking drop in the fucking ocean, though, in oh, comparison yeah. to how much they made with that game. That's like, disappointing. Yeah, true. Um, so, like, they made, and I still can't believe this was the case... Uh, as a company, last year, $563 million. Like, fuck. <laughs> that is so much money. Um, but, like, um, Cyberpunk lost them 
51.2 million. So. I mean, that's that's 10%. That's a fair chunk. Mm, true. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've, I've literally, I've exhausted everything I want to say about Cyberpunk. <laughs> um, although, like, I've had, like, the great idea to have We Like to Dunk on Cyberpunk t-shirts made. But... Um, <laughs> The thing perhaps, that, perhaps for some live video version of this podcast, perhaps. <laughs> the thing that really troubles yeah. me with that is, is, is my understanding of it, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that they didn't lose that amount. That was just basically the, the, the revenue that they lost. But, you know, do you know what I mean? It wasn't a loss to them as a result. That was just part of their overall profits that they didn't end up getting. They had to return it effectively, which... Yeah to me, is really, really quite scary because as much as we've had, you know, several um, incidents now of games coming out and, you know, No Man's Sky always jumps into my mind um, as being, you know, another example of promises made, not met, and huge uh, refund campaigns starting up. But it seems to just send out the message that as much as that controversy comes out and it causes refunds and it causes consumer nightmares, they still come out with a net win which means this is actually okay. Do you know what I mean? It kind of sends out the mm. message that you shouldn't do it, but it can, it can work for you. I think I think the problem is most people just really don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they either don't care or they're just not aware. Yeah. Or they were yeah. quite happy with or they were quite happy with what they got for whatever reason. <laughs> More for them. But Yeah, so yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about failed um, promises, and you know, like you said, No Man's Sky was a big one, and but subsequently, several years later, and I don't know, ten free huge content updates for that game, and it is unrecognizable from the game yeah. that launched, and is probably well worth the money that you that you uh, would have spent on it. Um, so I guess it depends on what you're expecting versus, you know, I think yeah. my earliest memory of failed promises was was probably Fable. <laughs> The Ooh. infamous fable with Peter Bolyneau and, you know, the idea of trees that would grow where you planted acorns and things over time. Just just none of it ever actually coming to fruition. And then, and then it, the way it ends up turning out is, at one point in the story, you get to plant a seed. Yes. <laughs> and that seed will grow because we scripted that seed to grow, to grow in this place. In this, Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's, um, it's a weird one. I... Uh... Maybe I'm just being a bitter Betty about it, <laughs> but I always feel like when a company does something like this, I want them to, I want them to feel the pain of what they've I done. I want them to suffer. I want them to burn, <laughs> <laughs> but they, but they never do. But the, the sad thing is, and this, this kind of ends up, I think, starts to tip into that kind of Harry Potter game debate a little bit. But then you think about who actually suffers the loss as a result, and it's probably going to be people in the team low down in the in the pecking order maybe an executive high up might get shoved off the team and then end up somewhere else but they carry on they continue to thrive and there's only those consumers that that bought the game and maybe because of apathy or laziness or whatever or unawareness just lived with it accepted it and then yeah. they're the ones that lost and the the shareholders to be really bitter about it they are still rubbing their hands together either way. That's just really great on me. 
So tune in next time for the Gaming Communist po- podcast. <laughs> oh my god, did, I, did that just count as me doing a rant about that? Was, that was a Lewis rant. <laughs> uh, no, not stealing that from Ruben. That's his, that's his domain. Well, on from rant-worthy topics to excitement-worthy topics, Final Fantasy XIV Patch 5.5 launched, which included, as we already mentioned, the PS5 upgrade. It yes. looks so good. It looks so good. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the you fact that I can... some kind of euphoria. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. The fact the fact I can play fourteen from bed and I can actually read the fucking text on the screen is just revolutionary for me. Um, and the fact that all of the like all of the images on the cro- on the yes. um, hotbar are now clear images. Um, and those load times are literally everything just mwah, perfect. I have this as well because um, I play on PC, but uh, I was informed that in the settings on PC, I can now use the the higher quality um, icons and stuff. I may have had this before. I don't know. If, I assume this is new as well in the patch. But I turned that on and I had the same thing. Looking at my hotbars and going. That's what that is. I thought it was just a mush of colour. And I'm like, there's a person in that skill. <laughs> it's like the, the astrologian sect with the with the um the astrologian silhouette in each each one of them. I was like, oh my god, there's actually a person in this symbol. And now my mind is blown. And it's just it's funny how something as simple as that can just bring you so much joy in a game. So good. It's just it's 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 just so pretty. Um Everything is just so clear now. It's lovely. Uh, and also, like, 5.5 was just wonderful in general. Like, the new dungeon was great. The new trial was great. The new near raid, the final near raid was great. Like, yes. They have clearly, like, it's the, the thing I find astounding about Final Fantasy 14, and I'm sure, like, 14 is going to come up in other discussions we have on this podcast, like, forevermore, pretty much. But, is just the consistency of how high quality it is. Yes. Like, 5.5 is like the, I don't know how, because uh, I'm terrible at maths, as I've already said. Like, the, it, this evening in general, but like, um, <laughs> like, every patch has been such a high quality and they've just kept going. Like, Shadowbringers was like one of the apexes of just brilliant design throughout and like every patch since as well has just been of that quality. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think there's, the thing that I, I particularly find compelling about it is with 14 in particular. I mean, there's two things I'll say. First of all, it's quite funny that with a, a patch to a game that's been around for so long and us getting excited about, I can finally read the text properly. <laughs> Stuff <laughs> as simple as that. And it's like, you know what? We didn't care about that before because that wasn't the point. But now we're really excited about it. But then from the other side, like you say, the the quality of it is always top notch. When I was thinking about the, the new Nier Raid, just going through it, I just feel like every time something happens, I think the people making this clearly like it. They're doing it to make it meaningful. And like we were talking about the the music when we were playing it last night, 
and it, you just start noticing the musical cues or you start noticing the visual choices and the subtle hints. And then there's other parts in the, the patches and the story content where you've just got simple lines of dialogue where animation-wise and visual-wise, there's not much going on. But the dialogue, there's so much effort gone into it and the voice acting and the, the, the cues to the characterization of each of the people that we meet along the way, it just fills my heart. It's just so good. It's just good from start to finish. That's it. <laughs> it's a great scrape. And from one great bit of news to another, Hades. Mm. Another of Ruben's favourite topics. Hades won Game of the Year at the Dice Awards 2021, along with four other awards, in fact. Good for her. Good for her. <laughs> I, uh, so, Hades, I don't know what this one is. What, Hades? You shrugged your research. <laughs> no, Hades, Hades is is amazing. I, mm. I I've never really played games like that before, um, but I I've still not gotten a huge way into. It. I mean, I've escaped a few times, hooray! But I feel like I've only scratched the surface of the content, and I think we talked about this before. And I feel like it's a bit like a soap opera. <laughs> like each day you go into different characters, and you get a next little snippet of their story, but never enough to to kind of bring it to a satisfying end and it's like tune in next time that you die (laughs) it's just that you stand the music every time you run into the dungeon and end your little (laughs) conversation that you're having someone should mod it so that instead of the song it plays when you die it just does the stenders (laughs) thing someone should mod that let's contact um bowser (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, we hear you we hear you like hacking <laughs> well we know we you're a challenge for you <laughs> it deserves to win everything to be fair yeah. and sometimes with things like this i think there's some games that get way too hyped up but hades is is in some ways so simple and in other ways, so nuanced and so layered and so complicated. It's such a great storytelling game, and that just makes me really, really love it. And I know how much you love it, Ruben. We all know how much you love it. So I'm, I'm glad I'm glad it won. And that you can still have kind of those smaller scale indie games winning a Game of the Year award from a major yeah. awards ceremony. It's not always all about, you know... Those huge AAA releases. Yeah. Like the fucking Last of Us 2. <laughs> so true. Because came, it came quite left field, as I recall. Kind of just Hades in general. I don't remember where it kind of started off becoming big. Well, it was a, it was an early access release for, for Steam. And I think it was really the point at which it was released on Switch that it suddenly just went massive. Yeah. I mean, it was it was originally announced for the Epic Games Store at the Game Awards, and then it was released into Early Access and Steam as well, and that's when I got onto it. Um, and then later, like when it had its 1.0, like full game release, it was released on Switch as well. And yeah, as Mark said, that's when it really exploded. And you'd been on it. You'd been on it getting me to play it for quite a while i think before the switch release you're like you should play this you should play this i was like no i'm not too sure <laughs> but then i bought it for the switch and loved it too right too i right. i almost kind of gave up on it actually when i first started playing it because i was like oh it's just this this 
fairly simple loop. And then it was like, oh, no. Ooh, oh, no, okay. <laughs> Another door is opened. <laughs> Who is this? Is standing in the hallway. What's going on? And then you start falling in love with certain characters. And I still cannot go through... Um, what's the second area? Is the second area Tartarus? Or... No, Tartarus is the first area. Tartarus I'm is the first. As- Asphodel. Asphodel, thank you. I cannot go through Asphodel and see um, Eurydice and not be like... I'm just going to stay for half an hour while you sing, sis. <laughs> just, just keep going. I listen to that song uh, I'm probably three times a week. When she, I'm always disappointed when she doesn't come up in a run. <laughs> Mark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, she... Because she I don't know how the, how the probability of it works. I completely agree. Uh, there's actually a point that whenever I go through Asphodel, I'm, I'm literally like, I'm here... For her. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing else. I'm not here for anything else other than her. And I will not even go up to her. Because you know when you go up to her and she kind of goes, Oh, hi there, as you you creep in. I don't even dare. I'll just hang back until she's sang through the song at least like three times. It's just so good. On so many levels. So many levels. Sign of good music. Yes. Other little tidbits of news that have come up in the last couple of days. Uh, we finally have a release date for Tales of Arise, the next instalment of the Tales of RPG series. Reuben, I know you're particularly excited about this one. I am, because I do love the Tales of series. However, the next one you're getting to. <laughs> <laughs> and that is an announcement of the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles I think to Switch and PlayStation 4? I think, I can't remember which group chat it was I said this in, but I said in a group chat that I creamed my pants when I found out about this. <laughs> but I cannot remember which group chat it was. Um, I feel like you said it in, in this server. Possibly. It does sound like something... Well, it's, it, firstly, it sounds like something I would say, full stop, anyway. <laughs> but, like... Yeah, it was probably in the Queers of Play server. But, like, oh my god. Like, if there was one thing... Like, I love the Tales of series. I love it so much. Um, But if there was one thing that could happen to blow that shit out of the water, it would be an Ace Attorney game. I fucking love Ace Attorney. Um, And one that has the closest thing to a fucking... (laughs) To a fucking lawsuit in Sherlock Holmes and, <laughs> and Watson huge being... chunks of Sherlock Holmes are out of uh, copyright now. It's just, it's God, wonderful. Has it been that long? Mm. Oh God. Yeah, there, there's, there's a weird thing, I think, where the earlier stories are out of copyright and the later ones where his personality is more developed are in copyright and there are occasionally his, um, his estate will sue people that try and use the version of Sherlock Holmes that is the more developed version from the later stories, but the earlier version is okay. Oh, that's complicated. So you can that's... have complicated. So you can have problematic wanker Holmes. <laughs> yes. But but you can't have nuanced suave Holmes. <laughs> Excellent. Um but yeah, like Great Ace Attorney, I was always gutted this didn't come to the West. I'm so glad it's coming to the West in a collection which means that it's probably going to be released physically, which means if that's released physically, I have hope that the Dual Destinies and Spirit of Justice will actually come out physically because they 
currently just exist on the 3DS as digital downloads. Plus, as an additional, like, that there's so many wins for this. Anime Girl Watson, like, fucking, there's so many wins for this as a, as a, just, just as a release. But the thing that I really like about it, which I read on Twitter, so I can't guarantee that it's 100% true, but if it is true, excellent, is that for the Japanese characters, they have got English-speaking Japanese voice actors to voice those parts. So it never had an English voiceover originally. It now does, but they've actually got Japanese English-speaking Japanese voice actors to do the voice actor work of the Japanese characters. And I'm like, why isn't that a thing normally? Because like half the cast, like most of the cast are Japanese and then there's a few English characters like Harlock Sholmes. And like, (laughs) I am never going to get over that name. Um, But the fact they've used Japanese voice actors for the, for the, for the VO, for the, uh, for the Japanese characters. Excellent. Brilliant. Love it. That is good. That is, that is good. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone doing that type of thing with the voice actors. I'll be curious to see what it ends up being like. I mean, um, I'll obviously be scrutinising it very intensely for its legal legitimacy. Not. <laughs> it's almost like this entire episode of the podcast was put together specifically for you, Nurse. It Ooh, almost so legal is. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> I wish I could. I mean, the, my question that flows from that, though, is... Will we get more Herschel Layton? I want more Layton with my attorney, please. I thought he retired. Like, no, was was retired. <laughs> like was retired in like the story of the games. Yeah, but isn't this going backwards? The great, oh, well, the, the great Ace the, Attorney is set like a hundred hundred years before. Yeah, so I don't think Herschel Layton was alive. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is what you misunderstand. He is immortal. He is eternal. He was around. <laughs> Perhaps they could bring, like, Herschel's predecessor, his, his like, great-great-great-grandfather into it. I could see that happening. If they're, if they're going for the younger um, successor, why can't we go for the progenitor of Herschel Layton? There you go. Make it happen. That's my bid. <clears throat> So the, the final part of our quick fire news section, which has not been quite so quick fire, is Sorry. the Resident Evil. <laughs> it's not your fault. <laughs> we just love to. Uh, we love a segue. Um, the Resident Evil showcase. So there were lots of little bits of news that came out of this. Uh, the first was the baffling, completely baffling, village demo time limit. You could only play it during this eight-hour period for a total of thirty minutes. It, I mean, who knows what that was about? But uh, I think uh, I think we've all played through that. I didn't finish it. You were so I, close, though, Ruben. You were so yeah, close. I was, I, yeah, yeah. You told me I was very close to finishing it, but like, um, what stopped me is I just kept exploring. Like, mm-hmm. I wanted to see every nook and cranny, and that really didn't. That really didn't gel well with half an hour. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's I, I, I was I was told specifically if you want to finish it, you've just got to push on and not spend too much time sort of faffing around. So I was like, right, I need to go here, I need to go here, I need to go here. Well, am I going the right way? Am I going? So I, I think I finished it in about twenty-seven minutes. So I had I had a bit of bit of leeway to spare, but yeah, the whole thing it was gorgeous to look at. 
Mm. Yeah, what, what what were we all playing it on? Because I was on PS5. I was on PS5. PS5. Okay, so we all saw it on PS5. It's fucking gorgeous. Mm. Like, that Resident Evil engine is... I mean, Res- yeah. even 7 and, and the 2 remake on PS4 looked stunning. Mm. And uh, 8 is just... My God. I can I'm calling it 8. Get stuck in it a little bit. So I was going to say, I can, I can understand why you would run out of time, because it's a lot more open up, isn't it, in comparison to the, the first demo that was brought in, which was a bit more linear. Of course, there's the, the puzzle elements to it that take you around a bit. But this one, there was a lot more open space to explore. And you could actually just take the time to look at your surroundings, even the stuff in the distance. It was kind of foreshadowing, mm-hmm. this is what's coming later, which was really nice to have that looming in the background. Yeah, and... Um... I, one thing I did really enjoy about the village demo as well was that it was perfectly balanced for that time limit in terms of like the difficulty mm. and the complication, uh, the, compl- the complexity of the puzzles, which really weren't complex at all. But like it was all balanced in, in, in kind of a really nice way. Mm. Um, and it I mean, really it's good. what I assume is a very early section of the game. If not, oh, possibly, yeah. the o- if not possibly the opening mm. section of the game. I suspect it's an opener. Mm. Because Much it's before like, you cause, even cause, get cause to... Because that first house bit in 7 was a demo, wasn't it? Originally. Oh yes. no, the demo was the, was the... Oh my god, this is the reason why I didn't play 7 for so long. It was the found footage bollocks, wasn't yeah. it? And Which that's you the find quite early. Quite yeah. early on. Um... But that's the reason why I was so fucking freaked out and I didn't play Seven for ages because that found footage thing put me the fuck off because um, I'm very easily scared. Um, but yeah, I mean, Village looks incredible and the the new trailer that they showed for Resident Evil Village, uh, which they showed in the show- showcase and also when you've finished with the demo, yeah, they showed the trailer then as well. It looks great, doesn't it? This is probably going to be the first first Resident Evil that I'll buy on launch since four. Ooh, ooh, that's that interesting. I'm quite excited. Um, weird, how, weird how both of them involve villages. Yeah, and being hmm. set in Europe. Maybe <laughs> yeah, that's, maybe that's just my thing when it comes. Maybe, to maybe, maybe, maybe you, you just subconsciously you want to retire to a village in Europe. Maybe. So all you're buying is games that are set in European villages. <laughs> I like that. But only, only if there are either like uh, parasites or werewolves or or vampires. I'm just imagining now Mark being a part of gaming press in the future and going to interview developers with a clipboard. So um, does it feature a village? <laughs> in Europe specifically. In Europe. Um, the Mercenaries was also shown as part of the showcase. It looks good, but I really miss what the mercenaries used to be. I still do. Like, um, did did any of you play the original Resident Evil 3? Like, the no. original original? No. Well, I briefly, but not enough to know. Because in the original Resident Evil 3, the mercenaries mode, which is where this was the first time it appeared, it, ga- it gave you control of the the UBCS, U, UBCS? Yeah, UBCS mercenaries that were in the game, but you never got to play as. 
And essentially, you were set in Raccoon City and you had to rescue people that were trapped and fight your way out of the city. And that was the mercenaries mode. And you only had a certain amount of time to do it. And you got more time by rescuing people. Um, and that was the mercenaries mode. And then in later games, I think it was Resident Evil 4, it returned, but it was this kind of shoot as many things to get as many points. And that's what the mercenaries has been ever since. Mm-hmm. Um and although I, I must admit, Village's version of the Mercenaries looks great, I do really want that old version of the Mercenaries. The, the rescuing time trial yeah. type mode. Yeah. Arcade time trial type thing. But it looks good and it's free as well. If you buy the game, it's, it's packaged in along with Reverse, so. Yeah. Why not? I mean, it's a pretty good package that you get overall then. Mercenaries, Reverse, and the Village game. Mm hmm. Uh, Resident Evil Infinite Darkness, the CGI movie coming to Netflix in July. I'm very excited for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's it because of the setting and the characters, because it's Leon and Claire, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's, it's it, I think it's set a few years after Resident Evil 4, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and... Uh, and it's, it's invo- all canon, I assume, with the games? It must be, because it involves the same president that was president during Resident Evil 4. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm just... I, I need it. I need it, I need it, I need it. And it's My- going to Netflix as well. Fucking Netflix! <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder, though... I don't know much about this one, um, but are they going more for the... the older school kind of action-packed type of content or a bit more of the creepy horror side with the netflix do we know what their kind of style is with this one the trailer looks more like resident evil as Mm -hmm. in like the classic horror Mm. resident evil than it does the action resident evil yeah i would say from what i've seen in the trailer i was getting very original resident evil vibes from the trailer yeah but it's obviously there's and obviously there's the live action movie as well that's coming at some point um which is going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. It might be a good thing. We'll find out. I mean, it's going to be hard to top the original Resident Evil movie. Is it, though? I love that film. <laughs> no, the thing is, I, I love it, but, like, it's got its faults. Oh, it's got its faults, and it doesn't bear a huge amount of resemblance to the actual game, necessarily, but the sexual tension between... Um, Michelle Rodriguez and <laughs> what's the face? Uh, the the Major Jovovich. Yeah, the sexual tension between those two is incredible in that film. I mean, you aren't wrong. Um, but yeah, I would just be interested to see where they take this. Is all. I don't know if we have much to say about the fact that Resident Evil is coming to Dead by Daylight, but apparently it is. I ain't fucking playing it. <laughs> Seems a good fit. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, never played it. And then finally, Resident Evil 4 VR. Fuck this. Don't care about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've played 7 VR. And I didn't really like it. Like, I found I found when I first played through the proper game, it, it freaked me out a bit sometimes. But with the VR, I thought it'd be, like, even worse but I, th- I thought actually at some points it wasn't because 
in particular, there were parts where, like, you know, you know, if you get caught, and sometimes when you got you get caught by something, it'll like throw you around first before it kills you. Mm-hmm. There were parts where that would happen, and then suddenly I would my the creature's face would be inside me. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm loving seeing the inside of your skull, but this is less scary now. <laughs> Just throw me across the room, and then we'll get on with it. Um, but I guess with an older game, no idea how well that would work. Who knows? All I, all I know is Resident Evil 4 doesn't need this. So, <laughs> well, it's got it. Um, thankfully, yeah, I... it does. It doesn't take away from the fact that Resident Evil 4 exists. Oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I don't have a particular objection to its existence. It's just I won't be getting it. I mean, it's also uh, exclusive to the Oculus Quest, so the market for it is going to be relatively small. Good. That's what it deserves. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's time for our brand new feature, Simply the Guest. You're Simply the Guest. Simply the Guest. Sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't resist. I was hoping somebody <laughs> would. I don't have the I don't have the range, darling. Um, <laughs> you might not, but your D and D character does. She most certainly does. Um, so this is our brand new feature that we have brought in um, to replace Backlog Bingo for season two, um, and this is really just an opportunity for everyone to get to know our guests just a little bit more. So we, we did a kind of teaser version of this during our, our premiere promo episode last week. Um, but yeah, Lewis. Uh, me. Getting to know Lewis. Haven't I been here the whole time? You Have I not? No. Oh. Oh. Sorry. Oops. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm throwing you off. <laughs> This uh, this feature is really, I, I I guess it's sort of like an interview. Um, we're just gonna we we've, we've got some some fun gaming relating questions just to sort of go through your 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 take on various things or your favourite games, your history with gaming. Um, so let's start with your history with gaming. Um, perhaps telling us a little bit about your very first game. Mm, first game, first game. I actually found this really difficult because suddenly my kind of childhood years seem to have merged into one and I can't place things in like a chronological order. But I was kind of stuck thinking the first game I can probably remember really getting stuck into was Sonic the Hedgehog. Mainly because me, my brother, my dad, and I think my mum gave it a good go too. <laughs> we would all sit around and play that together. Though I cannot recall which one it would have been. I think we had more than one by the time I started playing it, but I can't think of what it was. But I always just remember that I was that kid that would play Green Hill Zone and die. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm going to play Green Hill Zone again. <laughs> and again and again. And again. Because it's amazing, and that it iconic is. jingle, and you know the 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 pattern an, an of the iconic tiles. character, iconic character. Though you know back then, no idea how iconic it would be back then. It was just it's a blue thing that runs, and yes. it's kind of spiky. Um, 
But I would, I dare say, in terms of like a, a game that was probably like my gateway into gaming, perhaps as a better answer, I would say StarCraft probably kicked me okay. off with gaming. Like that's when I started to go, oh, okay, now I care about this. Mm. <laughs> this is a thing that I actually love doing. Yeah, which is weird that I struggled with with Sonic running left to right. <laughs> <laughs> so I went RTS. Give me That's war it. strategy. <laughs> but you know, then it was just by training my favorite unit and just hoping for the best back then. Yeah, it was weird. I, you know, I remember seeing StarCraft in game, or I think actually where I where I lived, it was it was at the time it was an electronics boutique. Um, oh my god, ooh. that's a fucking flashback. Jesus, I have no uh, idea what that is. It was it was a similar to Game. They were bought by Game, and eventually all ah. of the stores were rebranded as Game. Um, but yeah, I remember seeing it on the shelf a lot. I used to play. I used to play a lot of original Warcraft, uh, and, and then later Warcraft Two. Of course. Thinking, and you know, I was at that age. I hadn't really made that link between companies and brands and publishers. Mm. And I was like looking at it going, "Well, this is." Sounds and looks like a ripoff of Warcraft Two, but, with, <laughs> but in space, <laughs> with no comprehension really that it was made by the same people. <laughs> I was like, yeah. But then I did eventually buy it, and I was like, oh, "This is, this is amazing. I love this." I think I would add on that, that Starcraft was kind of to really book book end off what you just said there. Starcraft was the first game that made me take notice of the developers and stuff. That was when I first was like, "Blizzard is a thing." And, and who then, else? What else do they make? Yeah, exactly. And then ever since, I, for for years and years thereafter, I always describe myself as a, as a Blizzard fanboy because any Blizzard title I would get really stuck into, mostly because of the the storytelling and mm-hmm. the way that that was all put together. Um, and I, I still do a bit, but nowhere near as much as as before. And you know, now we've had the news of Jeff Kaplan stepping down from Overwatch, who was spearheading World of Warcraft for quite some time. I kind of feel, if Jeff's going, I'm going. <laughs> it's, it's time to step away. <laughs> yeah, plus all the other stuff. I'm just going to brush over all the other stuff that they've uh, got in trouble for in, in recent years. But, you know, yeah, becoming part yeah, of a larger it's... conglomerate, these things happen. Unfortunate, unfortunate, yes. Um, yeah. How does that tie into your favourite gaming memory? Is that ah. is that linked to StarCraft, ah. perhaps? <laughs> I haven't even shared with you my notes, and yet you asked the exact right question. Well, it kind of is, because um, my first thought on favourite gaming memory is much more recent. It was actually when I got stuck into playing World of Warcraft, when I became an MMORPG player, and I was playing the uh, second expansion, I think it was at the time, Maybe. Yeah, I think it's the second expansion. Well, I've, I've forgotten one along the way. But Wrath of the Lich King came out. I was just about to guess Wrath of the Lich King. <laughs> and Wrath of the Lich King is the kind of the spiritual successor to Warcraft 3 in terms of the storyline, not yeah. the gameplay. And yeah. I remember when I first got into Ice Crown Citadel, which is basically where Warcraft 3 ends. And bearing in mind, there's like, I don't know, like 15 years or something, or 10, 15 years between these two games. It was like you were playing through this MMORPG for years and years of content, knowing that somewhere the Lich King was just waiting since you mm-hmm. finished Warcraft 3 all those years ago. And then all of a sudden he became active. And seeing him in an MMORPG and be like, look, I'm a person, you're a person. <laughs> I'm not looking at you from the isometric top-down view anymore. I'm stood here and this is my character and I'm going to 
kick your ass and then getting absolutely flattened by him that was that was <laughs> that was joy for me getting to see the resolution of Arthur's... a storyline that had come from like two or three previous games in this that have been building and, and, and across different genres as well yeah. which i think is something that is perhaps a bit more common now with games yes moving but back then stories and worlds it was always just a direct continuation of the same story in the same world in the same genre blizzard knew how to do suspense led yes narrative teasers very well back then and it's it's you know it doesn't work quite as well now but you know my second choice would have been i was initially thinking of doing starcraft 2 because it was the same thing starcraft had like the tiniest little teaser i think it was just a bonus content in a in a final bonus level about where the story might go and then decades later here it is now mm. we're going to tell the rest of the story and again and- even though you could fault the story for various elements there's always the element of i've waited so long to see this finished and that was amazing well, and, then, and then you had to wait another six years to see it finish because the story <laughs> it took them that long to release uh, the, the two follow-up expansions. That was so Blizzard at the time. I mean, it still is in a way, but they were very much like, we will take 10 years to produce this mm-hmm. and you will yeah. not question it. But I knew that going in, whereas yeah. you know they're getting faster now and it's causing them problems. Mm. <laughs> Again, it's, it's the problem, I guess, of, of being part of a huge conglomerate is that the conglomerate is going, more money, more money, and banging. <laughs> the against. share price. The share price. <laughs> yes. Excellent, excellent. Um, so, what would you say is your greatest gaming accomplishment? And this is a hard one because it's uh, uh, it's so vague. vague. It's it's such a vague question, I know, and it could be like a, from a professional perspective, or I don't know, a particularly difficult platinum trophy that you're really, <laughs> really proud of achieving i don't yeah. yeah i i admit i struggled with this one um and i i suspect my answer would change each week mm-hmm. like last night i'd have been like i was the top astrologian dps <laughs> in that moment that was my greatest <laughs> achievement in life but when i reflected on it a bit more i'd probably say my greatest gaming accomplishment was probably back when i was playing halo 3 and mm-hmm. I decided that I wanted to play Halo 3 Legendary. And it was quite important for me because I am garbage at any game that involves a gun. But I was determined to play through that game solo, top difficulty, start to finish, but collect all of the skulls along the way. And for if you guys weren't big Halo players or anyone listening isn't, the skulls were like the, the, the secret bonus items you could find. I think there was one in each level. Hidden away um, somewhere. They were always hidden in weird places. Sometimes you'd have to grenade jump in a particular off a particular rock to get to where it was. And I, I think, think that... I think when I played the first Halo game for Backlog Bingo, I think I found one completely by ah. accident. She <laughs> usually like tucked down some obscure cave somewhere. Um, but absolutely loved that. Got through it all. Got all the skulls. Did the thing at the end of Halo Three where you have to jump through all of the hologram rings in a particular order, and it then plays the Halo theme to you right at the final level, and then. Um, finished it and was like, and then afterwards went through with friends in Legendary, and I was I was the kid who was like, I'm going to take you to the skulls. <laughs> I'm going to show you how to get them. I know where these are. And then equipping the Hayabusa armor for the first time and being like, look at me, I've got a freaking katana on my back because that's how awesome I am. And then getting into online matchmaking 
dead. <laughs> Instant <laughs> yeah, death. Instantly. But I did squeeze in a second one, which was slightly different, because I suppose that's a bit more like a, like a trophy-driven um, achievement. My second one was getting Mew in Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. I don't know if you had ever experienced that, but getting I Mew... I have not, no. Have you ever played Pokemon Mystery Dungeon? I haven't played a Pokemon Mystery Dungeon okay. game. Very, the, the ultra-quick ultra version, you play as a Pokemon with basically a pal, like a like a... A companion Pokemon with you, and you just go through dungeons. It's like the Chocobo Mystery Dungeon game as well, if you've played that, where it's top down, you're working your way through rooms and corridors, and you're fighting things as you go, and it's all turn based um, as you move, the enemies move. But Mew, like the, most of the legendaries, would be at the end of a 30 or 40 floor dungeon crawl, and you'd fight them, and you'd have like a 10% chance of recruiting them or something. Mew, the little sod, was in a dungeon that was 99 floors long, and as I recall, Mew appeared on one random floor between, I think, floor 33 and 99, but you had no idea of knowing which floor it would be. And that Mew would only appear on that one floor. If you didn't get it, the whole dungeon would be wasted. And as I say, you don't know which floor it was going to be. So you'd be checking each floor, trying to find each Pokemon that's roaming around, make sure it's Mew, because Dittos were also in this dungeon. (laughs) So the Dittos would be like, hello, I'm Mew. (laughs) And you were like, just... "Mm." And it had, like, a recruit rate of, like, 3%. And I was on a, a plane journey, because I'd just been on a... Because we've got loads of family out in Australia. We'd just been on a trip to Australia, and I bought my game in Australia. And it was, like, a 13-hour flight on the way back, and I spent the whole flight <laughs> trying to get <laughs> that Mew, and I got it! <laughs> I remember the moment, because you kill it, and then there's, like, a pause where it disappears. And then just after it disappears there's that slight chance it might reappear and it'll say, Mew wants to join. And I got it. I got that Mew. And I've now got the remake and I know that's coming. And I'm like, no, I can't go through this again. <laughs> you need a flight is what you need. I need a yeah. flight, yeah. <laughs> what else are you going to do as a kid on a plane for hours and hours and hours? Oh, that was such a good day. Such a good day. <laughs> Oh, that I mean, that does sound like an accomplishment worthy of worthy of the question. Yes, it is. It is. So, final question I'm going to ask in this segment: What gaming series would you love to see a revival of? Now, I've cheated. I think I've cheated with all these answers so far. But with this one, I I cheated because I couldn't think of a series. But I want a successor or a remake of Lost Odyssey. I know it's a game that some people absolutely love and other people haven't heard of, but Lost Odyssey as a JRPG, that game, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I was recently looking at JRPGs, and I was like, I want to play a turn-based JRPG game which has something special about the combat system, and that's I got into Bravely Default as a result of that, but it still doesn't quite scratch the itch that Lost Odyssey did. For those that haven't, have either of you played it? It's on my watch list for when it goes on sale, because I've only because ah. like it was only an Xbox game and yeah. I've ne- I wasn't an Xbox person until the Xbox One S and my Xbox One S was in storage for a while, so I've only just got it back out and it's there. I've got it on the Microsoft Store as a watch. The moment it goes on sale I'm just like, yeah, pop it get it um 
because I missed it. And it's mm. definitely one of the games that I missed, which I know I would love yeah. if I was to play it. I know. How about you, Mark? Never played it, I'm afraid. Yeah. Okay. Again, the super quick version. The thing that made it special for me is you've got basically two different classes of party members. You've got your immortals and then you've got your mortals. And the mortals were generally stronger party members, but they don't have any skill progression as they level up. They're just they're just higher health, higher stats, and that's it. Whereas the mortals, as they level up, even though they're at squishier, they learn all the skills. So you've got like one who's basically a black mage, one that's a white mage, plus there's spirit magic and I can't remember what the other one's called. Um, and there's like a physical fighter and a gun slinger, etc, etc. But as they level up and unlock skills, you had to make the mortals and the immortals party up and they would learn by watching their okay. party members. So by the end of the game, the idea would be that you'd have these immortals who suddenly know all the stuff you want them to know. But you had to level up the mortals along the way. And the characterization of all of those individual characters, because it's a big party, it's one of those games where you could play as, uh, I think, five party members in a fight rather than like the traditional three or maybe four. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice, nice, you could have like a full kind of dungeon set up. A meaty team. party. Who a meaty, love a party. meaty party, and the music was incredible. The voice acting and the the difference between each character was amazing, and the fact that most of the characters are actually related to each other in some way. So it felt mm-hmm. actually like this was a this was a party family, rather than just ah oh, we're going in the same direction. Come with <laughs> us. A collection of adventurers that happen to be walking <laughs> along the same road. You're a dog that was going this way. Let's party up. <laughs> it wasn't like that. There's a, there's a lot of family. And of, of course, because you've got some that are immortal and some that are immortal, the age is actually quite a big deal because it then kind of warps how you would expect those people to be related to each other because their yeah. ages are all odd. Um, absolutely loved it. Such a great game. And I listened to the music a lot. Bring back another. Bring another one or a remake, please. Bring it back. Did, is that the? Is that one of the ones recently where the original creator said that they've got no intention of remastering or revisiting it? Thanks. Sorry, <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm sure. Was that? Was that? Was that along? Was that made along by the same people that did Blue Dragon? I can't. I don't know if it was made by the same people, but it certainly was out at a similar time. Um... Because I remember they were like the two big exclusive yeah. Xbox 360 JRPGs. They were. I remember seeing Lost Odyssey on a shelf in, uh, not not Game, what was the other one called? What was the other shop called? Game Station? Game Station. I kept seeing it on the shelf of Game Station being like, mm, this looks a bit Final Fantasy, and then walking away from it. It took me like a year to decide to get it. And I only actually finished it like last year because I was so bad at it. I finally started it again and finished it, and I want more. But if they've said they're not going to do it, I will have to have words with people's mothers. <laughs> <laughs> you have been told. Play it, people. <laughs> so, um, just to finish off our wonderful Simply the Guest section, Lewis, um, how can people sort of follow you get to know you a bit more well i'd start off by saying don't no <laughs> oh i joke i joke of course that was like a, a run a mile from me but no no um so i'm mostly active on twitter these days since lockdown started and the 
pandemic kicked off, I decided I'd be a, a Twitter human. Um, I'm either on at Harmonious, H-A-R-M-A-N-I-U-S, or I think I said in my promo that it was at World Building Stream on the promo and then realised that's not my handle. <laughs> it's at World B Stream, which is my um, other account that I use. Um, because as well as uh, being a gamer myself, I also do, I dabble in some Twitch streaming where I talk a lot about storytelling, world design, and sometimes bring that into the gaming context to talk about video game narrative and, and story hooks and cliches and stuff like that. Um, so I'm also on Twitch at World Building Stream, Twitter, World B Stream. So those are my platforms of choice. And you're also a beloved dungeon master. And yes, I I mean, you can't find me as a dungeon master. No, you can't, no, no, but still. <laughs> you, I, yeah, I am, uh, as much as I don't play video games as much as I'd like to, I spend a lot of time actually watching my other half play them, with like the Resident Evil. I haven't actually played it, but I watched the whole thing over his shoulder. <laughs> but um, I absolutely spend a lot of time playing Dungeons and Dragons. And it, my, my plug, if you like, for the session is if you haven't tried tabletop RPG games, if you think they're weird or really geeky, they are. Try it. They <laughs> are. Go at playing. They're still great fun. Have a game at playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's the best sandbox game you can ever play where you can be what you want, do what you want, as long as the dice are in your favour. <laughs> May the <laughs> dice be ever in your favour. Indeed. If I could whistle properly, I'd do that little uh, four note that they do in um, Hunger Games, but I won't make a mockery of myself by trying to do it. <laughs> but yes, that's that's me. That is me. Thank you very much. And on to the final big news item. And we, we may have overrun a smidge. Um, <laughs> it's not like that doesn't normally happen or anything. A smidge. <laughs> the Nintendo Indie Showcase, um, which was coincidentally or not announced mere days after we announced our return to podcasting. So you're welcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nintendo showed of a whole bunch of, of new uh, upcoming indie games. Um, personally, I was just mostly annoyed that we still haven't got a release date for Axiom Verge 2. I knew you'd be annoyed by that. I was. I was deeply upset. I was just watching that thinking this would be the perfect place to announce it. I was hoping, you know, that final that final one more thing might have been a, an Axiom Verge release, but no. Uh, so Ruben what stood out for you um, well oh god there was so much in that fucking presentation um, Aerial Knights Never Yield I've got the demo downloaded on my Switch still not played it yet um, it just looked incredible it, I mean an auto runner but with that music and that art style just looked incredible to me Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yep, sign me the fuck up. I, as soon as I saw that come up, I thought Ruben is going to be all over that one. From the makers of... Uh, Streets of Rage Street 4. 4. Yeah. Right? I was like, <laughs> yeah, Ruben, that, that has Ruben all over it. Yeah, fucking Jesus. That, it looks so good as well, and they've given each of the turtles their own personality. Um, so, yeah, I'll be getting that for fucking... And it's, it's also based on the on the kind of classic early 90s version, incarnation of the Turtles as well, which is, you know, 
for me at least, you know, the, the incarnation of them that I grew up with. The real, the real turtles. The real, the real, <laughs> the real ones. Back when they were the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. None of this ninja malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I wasn't expecting that as a sentiment. Um... <laughs> I am deeply attached to their previous identity. <laughs> um, Chris Tales, obviously, but I've already raved about that game previously. Um, uh, obviously, uh, Annapurna Interactive had two games in that, and you know how much of a bitch for Annapurna Interactive I am. You so, do love. So both you of those. You love an Annapurna game. That's because they're always fucking good. Um, it, they've got a similar thing with like Devolver Digital, where like almost every game they put out is just fucking phenomenal. Um, and and this one, I found it really weird that this was in the sizzle reel. It wasn't given its own thing. A House of the Dead remake. Yeah, that was unexpected. What the uh, fuck? As a a light gun game without a light gun. <laughs> yeah. And like, are they just threw it? Like, they threw that in the sizzle reel, like. Because I, I live-tweeted the whole thing, because I often do with um, Nintendo, well, Nintendo showcases in general. And, like, when the sizzle reel started, I was like, oh, here we go, a sizzle reel, I'll come back to you at the end. And then, like, a few minutes in, like, there's just this tweet in my thread going, fucking what? <laughs> because, like, I did not expect a House of the Dead remake to be just in a sizzle no. reel for, like, just, just there. No, uh, the thing that stood out for me, not because it's a game that I want to play, but just because of the entire bonkers idea of it, was the longing. Oh, which yeah. basically just appears to be you walking around for for five hundred days in real time. <laughs> like, is anybody ever going to finish that? I mean, I guess. Yes. I, I, I mean, like, <laughs> someone will. I mean, you, you... someone is going to have to leave their switch running just doing nothing for a year and a half. I mean, bear in mind, I've got like 2,000 hours on Final Fantasy fourteen. People will will do this. It's just such an odd concept. It is an odd concept, but it did look like suitably creepy. It did look creepy in a way mm. that I don't think I would enjoy. See, I'm attracted to that. <laughs> See, I was I'm perfectly okay with, you know, like sci-fi horror and like Resident Evil, but there was some there's something about that style that just makes me go. Nah. Is it because it's just ever so slightly salad fingersy? Yeah, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> See, I was thinking salad, salad fingers, fingers vibe. Because it does that there is it, it does look a little bit like it. It's it's worrying. Um Road 96 was another one that I thought was quite an interesting concept. That was the branching narrative um, hitchhiking yeah, hitchhike kind of com- randomised uh, procedural yeah, hitchhiking game yeah. where it looks like almost any character can pop in and out on a playthrough and the story can go in almost any direction based on a combination of your decisions and whatever random thing the game decides to throw at you in the next part of the story it it's another one that sounded like a, a really interesting idea yeah i agree um and what i'm pretty sure this was shown before but it wasn't shown to the same extent as it was shown at the nintendo Indies, yes I, I think so because it there was there's another game coming from the 
people that made I want to say it's from the people that make um, Life is Strange that involves mm-hmm. it's another hitchhiky type game that involves them I want to say a mother daughter on a road trip and they were both shown in the same they were both announced in the same thing I I know the game you mean and I cannot think what that one's called yeah it, yes, I'm sure they were. But I'm sure they were both announced originally in the same in the same segment a few months ago. Mm. Um, but like, and then truth be told, like it was a pretty good showcase. It was, yeah. There was a bit of something for everyone mm. in that. There was a good range, and then of course that surprise reveal right at the end, which wasn't Axiom Verge two, but it was Oxenfree two. And I don't think anybody saw that coming. No. I, I spent most of that trailer going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, and then when that logo came up at the end, I was just like, right, okay, then that's interesting. Um, I mean, I've, I've, like, I've not played Oxenfree. I, I have to confess, I also have not played Oxenfree. It's one of those ones that's, that's on, my, it's on my radar. It's on my kind of list of things that I might play at some point. Yeah, people have been telling me constantly I need to play Oxenfree. Um, Ox, Oxenfree, uh, Night in the Woods is another another one. And uh, what's the other one? Um, the, the, the Watchtower, Firetower, whatever it's called. Oh, um, Firewatch, isn't yeah. it? Firewatch, there we go. I had the right words, wrong order. But yeah, so those three are those the kind of indie games that I've really got my, my, my list oh, to play yeah. at some point. Yeah, I mean, I would. I, I'm going to add my voice to the Night in the Woods crowd. This is a very good game. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I have. I after the logo appeared, I had a feeling it's just like I'm pretty sure if I'd have played Oxenfree, the remainder of the trailer would have made sense. Hmm. Um, it's interesting that, that there's there's quite a lot of games here that are seemingly very quite heavy narrative based games. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know about these in a great level of detail, but you know, this quite often. I'm thinking back to I think it was the PlayStation, one of the earlier PlayStation announcements, where you see all the stuff that's coming, and it's quite often, you know, his stuff with big sword, his thing with big gun, his thing with big car, <laughs> and, and yet the the stuff that's on here seems so. I guess it's because it's the indie stuff, isn't it? So much more dedicated to the storytelling. Um, which just naturally gravitates towards me. Like what you're saying about the Road 96, the, the idea of kind of that weaving uh, intersectional narrative where you, you're just exploring the various different storylines and story arcs you can get through. And um, what you were just saying there about the Oxenfree one and the other games you were just referring to, which from my memory, um, I've already forgotten the name of that one, the, the Fire... What was it? Again? Firewatch. Fire, Firewatch. That's, is that not basically an, an interactive storybook kind of Yes, game? yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it just, it warms my heart to see lots of those being made, um, especially in a time when, you know, the types of games that tend to really kick off and do well are those ones that are a bit more smash and explode, loot boxes, mm. loot boxes, microtransactions, all that stuff. It's nice to see that all of this content is coming through. And it's like you're saying, looking at looking at what there, what there is there, there is such a huge range of content game style art style tailoring for everyone which is really good to see and i think it's it, it is great that there's been 
sort of this resurgence of indie games in like probably the last five, ten years, which has really been facilitated by the likes of digital distribution to Mm. the consoles. You know, there was a period sort of like mid-90s to sort of 2010, 2015, where the only way you could really get a game made and noticed by a lot of people was to have a publishing deal on a major console, which meant creating a a top-tier game, which just isn't feasible. But now you've got these... I don't know, anything from one person to small teams of five or six people that are able to get this game and have it released on PlayStation and Xbox and Switch and Steam and, you know, across the board. And it's fantastic to see. Yeah. I did wonder whether there would be more, more, more roguelites coming through the woodwork in a bit of a chase after Hades movement. Well, that's what Skull is. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm quite intrigued by it from what it says about the kind of more diverse re- customization options that seem to be coming with it, which always excites me, but I doubt it'll... Uh... I think it's a dangerous thing to do to try and follow in that same kind of genre, because people, you know... Yeah, I think like, people, it's not Hades. people will be looking for something new rather than going, well, you're just copying Hades. Yeah. yeah. It's, a dangerous, it's, a, it's a dangerous line to walk, I think. Mm. Although on a note, like just bouncing off a note, and, and before I forget, because I will forget otherwise, if you haven't played them, Lewis, based on everything you just said, Gone Home, and What Remains of Edith Finch. I absolutely ah, love yeah. Gone Home. I've not played What Remains of Edith Finch, but Gone Home, I love that. And what I particularly like about that game is if you know what you... You can finish that game in about 20 seconds. Yeah. If you know where to go. But the first first playthrough, you won't know where to go or what to do. So you'll... Yeah. Is that the one where you're in someone's house? Yes. Both of them you're in. Yeah, you're basically just walking around exploring an empty house. (laughs) Just realised that could probably describe so many games. (laughs) (laughs) Evil 7. Is that the one where you're in someone's house? (laughs) Resident (laughs) Evil 1. Hades, don't you start off in someone's house? <laughs> oh God, sorry, I should that was that was really dumb. But no, yeah, I, I've read about that one because again, that's another one of those games I've looked up in the past, which very much described itself as this is basically a storybook, mm. and you are just interacting with the pages, if you like, mm. um, which made me think, hmm, that sounds a bit of me, but I just haven't. Uh, haven't got around to it, but I've written that down, Ruben, and prepared written down my for all of the emotions. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Okay. We've gone home, yeah. And also, uh, same with Edith Finch. Actually, there's a lot of emotions in that too. Consider my emotions prepared. Well, I think I think that brings us to the end of our first episode of this second season. So, thank you very much for joining us, Lewis. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to this since, since we first started talking about it. Yeah. Yes. And you are the first guest, which is a- amazing. Uh, look out for announcements soon about who's going to be the second guest in two weeks' time. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We've been the Queers at Play. Uh, you can find us at Queers at Play on Twitter and at discord.queersatplay.com if you want to come and join our Discord server. So, see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.